are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. I'd ask you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to our text for this evening. We'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning with uh, verse 25 through 34. That can be found on page 811 in the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Please give attention to the reading of the very word of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our text uh, for this evening is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's part of Christ's Sermon on the Mount in which he preaches and teaches on the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Simply stated, this passage teaches us of God's kingship, his rule and sovereignty, recognized in the hearts and operative in the lives of his people. He presents us with a Christian value system and ethical standards demanding sincere heart devotion to God. In other words, we are to love God above all else and give him undivided trust amid all circumstances of our lives. If we love God sincerely, then we will surrender everything to him and expect everything from him. 
in both our public and private lives, Christ calls us to be different from the popular culture. And in chapter 6, he places alternative choices before us. Two treasures, those on earth and those in heaven. Two earthly paths, walking in the light or walking in darkness. Two masters, God or money. And two preoccupations, focusing on earthly necessities and comforts or focusing on God's kingdom. As we give thought to these alternatives, we must decide which choice is more worthy of our devotion. Verse 25 of our passage opens with the conjunction, therefore, which transitions us from something Christ has already taught to something that he is about to say. So briefly, I want to take a look at several verses leading up to verse 25 to place our passage tonight in its proper context. So in verses 19 through 21, Christ teaches us to not have the spirit of covetousness by when he commands us to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. In doing this, he is not telling us to make sensible provisions for ourselves and our families, but he is telling us to give no thought to hoarding or living lavish worldly lifestyles. Since accumulating transitory earthly treasures do not give us satisfaction, then setting our hearts upon them implies the forfeiture of enduring heavenly pleasures. Regarding this matter, Martin Luther writes, and I quote, Whenever the gospel is taught and people seek to live according to it, there are two terrible plagues that always arise. False preachers who corrupt the teaching and then Sir Greed who obstructs right living. So Christ teaches us that our hearts, our minds, and our wills should be devoted to God alone, and we should trust in and serve him with complete self-sacrificing allegiance. In verses 22 to 23, Christ teaches us that our desire for earthly riches blurs our mental and moral vision. He explains that the eye is the lamp of the body, and a healthy or good eye looks to God as its master and fills us with the light of his will. On the other hand, the bad eye looks to treasures on earth and admits only the darkness of greed and self-interest. And then in verse 24, Christ teaches us that it's impossible to serve two masters, since we will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And as we certainly know, our hearts follow our treasures. Therefore, we must not place our trust and our security in worldly goods, but we should make God our portion, and we should treasure the riches, the glories, and the pleasures at his right hand. And so in verse 25, Christ begins with the command 
do not be anxious. Or as a King James translates this, take no thought for your life. Matthew Henry defines anxiety for us as the sin, the sin of disquieting, distrustful cares about the things of this life, which are a bad sign that both the treasure and the heart are on earth, unquote. Four times in our passage, in verses 25, 27, 31, and 34, Christ commands us to not be anxious. So the sin of anxiety is clearly the theme of our text. This sin is displayed in our lives by worrisome and distrustful thoughts about the things of this world, which consume our minds and interrupt and dampen our joy in the Lord. As we well know, we are sinful, frail creatures, and from time to time and to a certain extent, we do worry about worldly matters, and on occasion we yield to an anxious moment about life's uncertainties, various trials, perhaps an illness, diagnosis, a declining stock market, or even disturbing events in our culture. And we seem to have those disturbing events about every day. But we, we trust in our sovereign creator, and we know that constant self-tormenting tormenting anxiety about any of these things is a sin. A sin which highly dishonors God and which expresses our unbelief in his providential care. And even more so, we know, that, we know that to dwell on these thoughts is a failure to trust all that God has promised to be for us in Jesus Christ. And it expresses an inordinate care for things of this life, which is a sure sign that our hearts are fixed on earthly treasures. Scripture repeatedly instructs us to trust in God's steadfast love, his amazing grace, and his covenant faithfulness and promises to his people. We also take comfort in God's work of providence, which our standards define as his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And I call your attention to preserving all his creatures. R.C. Sproul writes concerning providence, if creation was a unique exercise of divine energy causing the world to be, providence is a continued exercise of the same energy, unquote. Through providence, then, our creator is involved in all events and directs all things by his will to their appointed end. Therefore, we need give no thought to the things of this world, since our God is completely in charge, and his perfect rule extends to all things, even our care. Therefore, Christ commands us to, not, to take no thought for your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will put on. Ironically, one commentator refers to these three concerns 
as the world's trinity of cares. So by these three prohibitions, Christ forbids our preoccupation with food and drink and clothing. He instructs us, if you will, with an argument from the greater to the lesser on the order of Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where we read, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, the greater, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, the lesser? This striking promise of Scripture tells us that for God to give his son to die for us was a supreme gift guaranteeing the subsequent gift of everything else that we need for our full and final glory. Therefore, we have no reason to be preoccupied with anxious thoughts about the continuance or the comforts of our lives. As to being anxious about the continuance of our lives, our text tells us that our times are entirely in God's hands. He has given us life, and he has also decreed the exact length of our earthly existence. By worrying, none of us is able to make his life any longer. We read in Psalm 31, verses 14 through 15a, But I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hands. The psalmist is reminding us that God controls history in general and our lives in particular, which should comfort us in all circumstances of our lives. To illustrate God's common providence and provision, Jesus uses examples from nature, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He tells us that the birds neither sow nor reap nor gather and store provisions, yet they are kept alive by their creator. Christ's encouragement here is that if God provides for these lowly creatures, how much more will he care for those created in his image? Again, if I may quote Martin Luther, he writes, you see, he is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Every day he feeds and nourishes little birds out of his hands, unquote. There's also an old limerick that I ran across that applies to the way that God provides care to the birds of the air, while at the same time addressing the anxiety of humans like us. It goes something like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But we, we do have a kind and gracious Heavenly Father who loves us and who takes care of us and who preserves us to the end. 
As for the lilies of the field, they grow without any toil, and God by his power clothes them with beauty every year. Christ's comment for our edification is if God provides for the short-lived flowers and grasses of the field, he surely will provide for his children destined for eternal life. Charles Spurgeon wrote, and I quote, Lovely lilies, how ye rebuke our foolish nervousness, unquote. We need not be anxious about our lives because our great God providentially provides for all our needs. Christ addressed his worrying followers in our text as men of little faith. It would seem that they were not sufficiently taking to heart the comfort they should enjoy from the presence, the promises, the power, and the love of Christ. For sure, anxious worrying is incompatible with true faith. In fact, being anxious for things of this world is a reflection of unbelief, the very root of anxiety. A.W. Pink writes, and I quote, to be fearful about the supply of future needs, to be worried that we may be left to suffer the lack of temporal necessities is to be guilty of wicked unbelief. It calls into question the goodness and care of our creator. It manifests, manifests a lack of faith in his wise and gracious providence. It betrays doubt of our Father's love, unquote. We must give no thought to things of this world, but be content and trust in divine providence. In his sermon last Sunday, Dr. Wright reminded us that contentment is a rare jewel found only in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He went on to say that it is a gift of God's free grace, and it is never found in earthly things. In his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs has a wonderful definition of Christian contentment, which should characterize our trust and our faith in God's providential care for us. He defines this quality as, and I quote, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition, unquote. Does this describe you in every circumstance in life? Do you unwaveringly trust in the providential care of God? Why is it that we can be absolutely content and take no thought for our life? I would submit that it is because of the doctrine of divine providence, which teaches Christians like us that we are never in the grip of blind fortune, chance, or luck. Everything that happens to us is divinely planned and executed. And each event comes as a new summons to us to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that everything in our lives 
is for our spiritual and eternal good. Christ provides a positive command in verse 20, in verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He is teaching us to fully place our trust in our kind and gracious heavenly father and to make his sovereign rule and a right relationship with him our highest priority in life. Constantly giving thought to things of this life is inconsistent with this priority. It doubts the sovereignty and the goodness of God and distracts from the true goals of our life to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If we are faithful in pursuing first God's kingdom and his righteousness, as our text says, then all these things will be given to us. The reward of grace is that he will provide for our earthly needs and our spiritual growth. The psalmist records for us in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Christ concludes this portion of Scripture by instructing us to not be anxious for tomorrow. Rather, let tomorrow rest. For when it comes, there will be new demands and concerns and perhaps even trials and sufferings. But there will also be renewed strength, trust, and belief that God is in control. After all, God's providence rules in such a way as to ensure everything that happens to a believer is working for our ultimate good to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. How then do we deal with anxious concerns about our lives? First, I would say we must fight against the sin of unbelief, as we said earlier, which is the very root of anxiety. To combat this, we must read and study and meditate on God's word, and we must pray for sanctifying help from the Holy Spirit. The battle to be freed from sin and unbelief and to be sanctified is by the Spirit, Romans 15, 16. But also the battle to be freed from sin and unbelief and to be sanctified is by the truth, which is the word of God, John chapter 17 verses 17 and 19. Therefore, the great faith builders are the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the word of truth. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the great promises of God in his word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's watch and pray against an overly anxious spirit. Second, trust in God and his work of providence. He is our father, but more importantly, he knows all of our needs. We must trust in him alone. If we are single-minded about this, our entire life will be full of life, light, excuse me. 
Our lives will never be secured by trying to accumulate huge amounts of treasures on earth, since these treasures will fade. But by trusting in God and treasuring our communion with him, our lives will be secure. The Apostle Paul taught the church in Philippi to not be anxious, but to trust that God will supply all of their needs. He wrote in Philippians 4, verse 6, which we read earlier this evening, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then in verse 19, he gives us this amazing promise of God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Presenting our requests in prayer provides an outlet for anxiety. And doing so with thanksgiving is itself an antidote to worry. Anxiety has a debilitating effect on our lives and results in a loss of confidence and assurance. If we doubt, we assume the burden of worries and demonstrate a lack of trust. Peter, in his first epistle, urges us to cast our worries on God and trust in him. 1 Peter 5, verse, 70, verse 7. And then finally, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This means living in communion with God and loving him above all else. It means giving him our heartfelt love and devotion and our full commitment of obedience to his word. Let's not allow worries for our needs in this life replace our priority for the seeking after the welfare of our souls, since temporal concerns must never, never crowd out spiritual and eternal matters. Is our faith and trust in God alone in Psalm 37, verse 25, David writes, I have been young and, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for food. It is my prayer that we unwaveringly trust in the promises and the providence of God and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and give no thought to the things of this life I close this evening with three verses and four questions for you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we read, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is in control, and his decrees are fixed. Trust in his providential care. And in Luke 12, verse 32, we read, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God will bring to completion that work that he has begun in his people. 
as we endeavor to lead lives as becomes followers of Christ, I ask you these four questions. Which treasure do you choose, those on earth or those in heaven? Which earthly condition do you choose, walking in the light or walking in darkness? Which master do you choose, God or money? And which preoccupation do you choose, our worldly comforts or God's kingdom? May we all heed Christ's call to order our priorities correctly by focusing our hearts on the kingdom of heaven and not be anxious for things of this world. Please pray with me. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for the gift of salvation. We thank you that we have been justified, adopted, and sanctified. And because of that, in this life, we enjoy the assurance of your love, increase of grace, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, and perseverance to the end. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust in your providential care for our lives and help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.